When I first went into ministry, I had the opportunity to preach one evening, and a gentleman happened to be at the meeting, and he was a biker guy. I mean, he looked like he had been in a biker gang, Harley Davidson attire everywhere, tattoos everywhere, long hair. And in fact, when I first saw him, I was actually a little scared. Um, I thought he might beat me up and take my money. Um, but that evening, he actually responded to the gospel and he accepted Jesus as his savior. And it was so cool. A whole bunch of people in our ministry actually gathered around him, led him to the gospel, led him to Jesus, read scripture with him. He ended up praying, received Jesus. And uh, after that, we spent some time talking. And he basically told me he hadn't really ever spent time reading the Bible. And so I said, hey, well, why don't you come over to my house and we'll spend some time reading the Bible together and I can teach the Bible a little bit to you. And so what I didn't know is that the next morning he woke up and he went to a Christian bookstore. There uh, used to be these things called Christian bookstores uh, before Amazon took over. And, uh, and he bought a Bible and he figured I should get the biggest Bible possible. So he bought the big family Bible that some of us have at our houses and he showed up at my house the next day, knocked on my door and said, hey, I'm ready to learn the Bible. And I was like, okay, how much uh, do you want to study today? And he said, all of it. So we ended up spending the entire afternoon and into the evening working from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. And we spent time looking at the history um, of, of Israel and God's promise to raise up a Savior, uh, a Messiah. And ultimately, we studied the Quickly, we went through the Gospels and saw the life of Jesus and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, got to Acts. And uh, I remember when we read the book of Acts, we talked about baptism. And so he asked me, he said, hey, is that something that I should do? Should I get baptized? And I said, yeah, that's something that new followers of Jesus do. They get baptized. And so he said, well, I want to do it. And he said, I actually want to let all my friends know about my newfound faith. And so he said, can we do it? And so we scheduled this big baptism gathering at a local park, at a local river. And it was really amazing because over the next couple of weeks, he started attending church and got to know all these church people that loved his story of salvation. They all, they all just bought into this idea of how grace is available for everybody and they saw it uh, happen in his life. And so anyway, they the day came and uh, we all gathered and it was really cool. There was about 35 church people there and maybe 35 biker people there. And it was hilarious because in the very beginning, all the biker people were on one side and all the churchy people were on the other side and they didn't really intermingle because the church people were a little afraid of the biker people, thought maybe they would steal their wallets or something. And the biker people were a little afraid of the church people because they thought maybe they'll steal their wallets. And uh at any rate, um, after we'd spent some time together, they all kind of intermingled, and it was a really great, great day. We ended up actually walking out to the river uh, when he got baptized. And as he and I were walking um, to get to the, to the place in the river where it was deep enough for him to be immersed, uh, we got there, and, and so it was really awesome. Everybody was on the shore watching, and... I leaned down and I said, okay, let's do it. And he's like, all right. And I got him ready and I told him to plug his nose. And then I said, I baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then when I went to put him under, we didn't realize that we were actually on the edge uh, of the drop-off and we both just totally fell into the water. 
and we both got immersed. I guess I got rebaptized that day, and it was absolutely epic, though, because everybody on the shore started cheering, and it was amazing. But when we walked up to the shore, a couple of his biker friends actually walked up to him and said, what was that? And, uh, and he's like, what do you mean? They said, well, when you went under and you came up, it was like sun rays were shining. It was like, it was like you were highlighted. There were just rays of light shining on you. And pretty much everybody saw it. It was an absolutely amazing moment in my life. I mean, it was probably one of the high points of ministry of seeing that entire process happen right in front of me. And I think about my baptism, though, because my baptism was a lot different than that. Um, you know, and I know many of you in this room have had baptisms that were absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, some of you like got baptized and instantaneously you could play guitar and lead worship or you instantaneously, you know, um, got freed from certain things that had been, you know, holding you back in your relationship with God. Um, some of you got baptized and you like won the lottery and it was really awesome. But my baptism wasn't like that. I was about eight years old. And when I got baptized, I made the decision to get baptized because I decided to follow Jesus after doing a little bit of research and discovering that I didn't want to go to hell. <laughs> that was the primary motivation. I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. I wanted to have a relationship with Jesus. And I was a kid, so obviously I didn't know all the ins and outs of it. But when I made the decision to follow Jesus, the next step was to get baptized. And so I decided to get baptized, and my baptism was scheduled for a Saturday. It was a Saturday afternoon, and I was an ice hockey player, so I had an ice hockey game uh, in the morning, and then I got done with the game. In the afternoon, we drove to the church right after it, and I got there. And, and so uh, in ice hockey, you wear all this gear, all these pads and everything, and underneath your gear is a pair of sweatpants. And I had this pair of sweatpants that I've been wearing forever, and and, uh, and I showed up, I took off my hockey gear, and I got ready to get baptized, and I realized that the pants that I had, which I had worn for a very long time, they had a hole in the back right on my bottom. And I was so embarrassed by that that I pretty much spent the entire time of my baptism thinking and being worried about everybody seeing my underwear. I was eight years old, obviously, and so I was pretty concerned about that. And so, you know, fast forward when I got into high school and I'd hear all these stories of people getting baptized, I just kind of felt like, man, does my baptism matter at all? It was hard to actually conceive of my baptism having any spiritual significance because it was so, I don't know, it just didn't feel uh, monumental due to the fact that I was primarily concerned about people seeing my underwear. Well, for the month of January, we've been in this sermon series that I've called Anchored to Sail. And our focus has been on certain ideas, certain practices that help anchor us um, into our relationship with Jesus so that we can sail forward, we can thrive, we can join God's mission uh, in our community. Because again, everyone is a missionary. If you follow Jesus, you've been called to be a missionary where you're at um, and, and in your state of, of life. And essentially, I've been arguing that there are beliefs and practices that help anchor us. They help root us into the kingdom of God. And these beliefs and practices function as foundations for our faith in Jesus. And the more anchored in Christ that we are, the more effective we will be in God's kingdom. Now, two weeks ago, when we started this sermon series, uh, we looked at how in the book of Acts, the early Christians, the early church was they were committed to 
uh, engaged in scripture. They were committed to praying. They were committed to, to fellowship. They were committed to worship, to receiving communion. And last week, we leaned a bit more into that concept of prayer and looked at the Lord's Prayer in, in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus is asked about prayer. And he says, I want to teach you how to pray. And he teaches them what we call the Lord's Prayer. And this morning, I want to spend some time talking a bit more about two practices that followers of Jesus, that, that the church has been, been carrying out for 2,000 years uh, as, as ways to be anchored in Jesus. And those two practices are baptism and communion. Now, before we spend some time looking at scripture, I would love to pray. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do invite your Holy Spirit to speak to us through scripture and to help us to see the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of your son, to, to see the, the beauty of the kingdom, and to see how there are certain practices and certain rhythms and certain ideas that help anchor us into the story of the kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. So let's talk about baptism for a minute. What is baptism? You know, as we look at the Bible, we see that baptism was a practice where followers of Jesus would obey his commands and be immersed in water. In fact, uh, the word baptism is actually not an English word. It's a word that was um, used to communicate about a Greek word that means immersion. And, and so when you look at scripture, you see that the, the first concept of baptism is when John the Baptist comes on the scene. And John the Baptist preached to the crowds of people, and he preached that people should repent and be baptized as a demonstration of their faith and their demonstration of their repentance and an appeal to God for forgiveness. And, and you see this in the Gospel of Luke. You see this in the Gospel of Matthew. You see this in the Gospels. Um, throughout the Gospels, you see this emphasis with John the Baptist. Now, what's really interesting is that even Jesus was baptized. A lot of people don't realize that, but Jesus was baptized. And so some people ask, well, why was Jesus baptized? Great question. Why was Jesus baptized? Well, Jesus was not baptized because he needed to repent or because he, he had sinned. Um, Jesus was 100% sinless. He was God in the flesh. And so he didn't do anything that warranted repentance. Uh, the reason why Jesus was baptized in the, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, we see this. The reason why Jesus was baptized is because he was publicly identifying himself with the sins of Israel. And so when Jesus got baptized, it wasn't because he had done something wrong and he needed to turn from his sin and repent. Jesus was baptized because he wanted the world to know that he was taking on himself the sins of Israel. He was identifying himself with the people's sins so that he could begin to communicate the very purpose of his coming, which was to bring salvation. Now, once we get to the book of Acts and in all the letters of the New Testament, it was inconceivable to be a follower of Jesus and not have been baptized. There was no such thing in the early church as a Christian who wasn't either about to be baptized or who had been, not been baptized. Everybody had been baptized. And an example of that, I think, would be in Acts chapter 8. 
In Acts chapter 8, you see that there's this disciple who's walking and he overhears this, this Ethiopian eunuch, a person who is from Ethiopia, who worked for the queen of Ethiopia, and he was reading from a scroll of scripture. And, and he was reading it out loud and he didn't quite understand it. And so he was talking aloud and this disciple who was walking alongside him said, hey, I can explain to you what that text is about. And he, he does that and he explains who Jesus was and how he had come to fulfill all these Old Testament promises. And, and, and he, he shows this person, this Ethiopian eunuch, the way of salvation. At the very end of this, of this story, the Ethiopian eunuch looks at the disciple and says, well, what's to stop me from being baptized right now? And he gets baptized. Now, there's a couple of key verses to understand about baptism. When, when we think about baptism, there's a couple texts of Scripture that help shape our understanding of what baptism is. And the first one is in Romans chapter 6, verses 1-4. through 4. Paul writes these words. He says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. We also need to look at Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 26, where Paul also writes, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism, have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Then he goes on to talk about how there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free person, male nor female. Everybody is united by baptism in Christ. Then finally, in Colossians chapter 2, Paul again fleshes out this idea by talking about how when we are baptized, we're buried with Christ. And, and we're raised to new life. So our definition of baptism is this. Baptism is an act of obedience where we identify ourselves with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's an outward sign of an inward reality. Michael Bird, who is one of my favorite biblical scholars, he says that in the Christian faith across its many forms, in other words, across all these different denominations out there, the rite of passage for entry into the church is baptism. Baptism is a symbol of the gospel. It marks entry into the gospelizing community and creates a bond of unity with all those in every place who are baptized into Christ Jesus. And so that's, that's our understanding of baptism. Baptism is this practice, this this. this this, this habit, this rhythm that roots us into our identity as followers of Jesus because it roots us and anchors us into Christ. Now, we need to think about the other sacrament. You know, baptism and communion are both sacraments. They're considered means of grace. They're ways that we can experience God's presence, which is something that vineyard churches really value. So the question is, what is communion? Now, communion has a number of names. Some people refer to it as the Lord's Supper. Other people refer to it as, as the Eucharist. Um, Catholic churches talk about the Mass. 
Um, Though there are many ways in which churches celebrate communion, the focal point of all these churches is the same. The purpose and the focus of communion is is to have us realize and reflect on and remember and, and, and recenter ourselves on the death of Jesus, Christ's broken body and his shed blood. Now, for most of church history, and I'm not going to spend all my time this morning talking about church history, but for most of church history, communion was seen as the central act of worship. It was one of the most important practices for Christians to participate all throughout church history. I mean, even up until the early 1900s, it was inconceivable for churches not to regularly celebrate the Lord's Supper. And communion functions to remind us of what Christ did for us, the crucifixion, his death on the cross. And it provides a space for us to experience God's grace. Like baptism... It is an outward sign of an inward reality. Now, celebrating communion actually does a number of things uh, that I think we need to really reflect on. Now, when I was growing up, we were going to this church that was super conservative, super religious feeling. And I, I remember as a kid, whenever communion happened, it always felt like it was such a sacred religious thing that even, even though we were supposed to do it, we really shouldn't. And, and whenever I would hear talk about it, it was basically like, you're a sinner, you're terrible, you really shouldn't receive communion, it's not really for you, this is a, a sobering moment, and it was very much uh, communicated in a way that I felt like communion wasn't a celebration, it was more a depression type of situation. But that's not how the Bible talks about communion. That's not how the Bible talks about it at all. And so, one of the reasons why we need to celebrate communion is because it accomplishes a number of things. It, it renews our faith. It gives us a chance to renew our, our, our faith. When we come forward to receive at the Lord's table, we are renewing our faith. We're saying yes to Jesus again. It also reminds us of the good news of the gospel. It reminds us that though we were broken, Christ died for us and gives us access to salvation. Another thing that that communion does, that we see throughout Scripture, is that when Jesus instituted communion, he says in the Gospel of Matthew that he will not drink of the fruit of this vine, he will not drink of the cup again until he returns. And so at the end of the book of Revelation, there's this thing called the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's an event after Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom, he has a meal with his community, his family, his church. And so every time we receive communion, we're anticipating and looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, Communion also, I think, provides a space for us to extend hospitality. Something that I hear all the time from different people who have come to the vineyard is that when they first came, they felt so welcome. They felt so invited. And one of the things that they, uh, they often talk about is communion. They're like, yeah, I love that you receive communion every week. I love that we gather together and receive communion. And when I first came, the fact that you welcomed me to the Lord's table made all the difference. I've heard that from dozens and dozens of people over the years. And so it allows us to extend hospitality. And then I think it also importantly, is a space for the Holy Spirit to work. The Holy Spirit is at work when we receive the bread and the cup. This is not just a symbol. God is actually present in and through communion. And then finally, I love the fact that every single time we receive communion, 
we have an opportunity to lean into Jesus and his promises. The key verse that I would point people to would be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul writes, beginning in verse 23, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Now, this is a really important text because Paul here says that Jesus himself instituted it to Paul. Paul says, for the Lord, for I pass on to you, I receive from the Lord himself. In other words, after Paul had converted on the road to Damascus, he spends about 12 years before he becomes the Apostle Paul. And in that span of time, he had several encounters with the risen and ascended Jesus. And evidently, one of the most important things on Jesus' mind when he was training up Paul was the importance of communion. So our definition for communion is this. Communion is a meal where we remember the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross and experience the presence of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is an outward sign of an inward reality. Now, naturally, in response to what we read in Scripture, I think we have to ask this question. How do baptism and communion function as anchors? How many of you struggle um, at all during the week? How many of you um, experience the mountaintops and then the valleys? Or maybe you, you're struggling with anxiety or loneliness or discouragement. I mean, if you have any of those type of, of struggles, then I think those are times when baptism and communion actually matter. You know, when you get lonely, when you get discouraged, when you're overwhelmed, when you're under spiritual attack, something that happens far more than many of us actually realize. When you're going through those specific challenges, baptism and communion anchor us into the story of the kingdom because they anchor us into the story of Jesus. They anchor us into the truth of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for us, and how Jesus is still at work in each of our lives. And that's kind of the whole point that Paul makes in Romans chapter 6. You know, Paul uh, addresses the Christians living in Rome, and he, and he basically is trying to help them. And, and at some point, at one point in, in chapter 6, he, he, he asks this question. He says, don't you remember your baptism? Don't you remember that when you were baptized, you connected yourself, you united yourself to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? And so when you're going through those challenging moments, when you, when you have some spiritual warfare going on and the devil is on your shoulder and whispering into your ear that you don't matter, you're not loved, you're not valued, you have no place in this world, it's a remembrance of baptism and an experience of communion that can help anchor you to get through it. And so when the devil says that to you, you can say, listen here, that's not true. I was baptized and I was connected to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. 
and I do not belong to anyone other than Jesus. And the same thing is true for communion. On a weekly basis, we receive grace. We receive communion. We celebrate and remember and are reminded and recentered and renewed around the death of Jesus Christ. And it's as the Holy Spirit works that we have an anchor to lean into. And years ago, I, I, I had a lady come up to me and say, Pastor Luke, I'm actually not going to be receiving communion anymore because I just don't think that I'm worthy of it. Um, I got in a fight with my, my husband recently and I said some things that I, that I shouldn't have said and therefore I'm not going to receive communion and I, I don't think I should be participating. And my response to her was, that is precisely the time that you need grace. That is precisely the function of communion. Communion should help us to remember that we have been forgiven. There is grace and mercy new every morning, and we can, through our reception of communion, come to know that grace. Because the Holy Spirit helps communicate to us, mediates to us that grace. And that's why baptism and communion are so important here at the Vineyard. It's because these practices, these habits, these rhythms, and all the theology around them help anchor us into the story of the kingdom, into the story of Jesus, into the story of what God is doing to bring redemption to the world that we live in. So if you haven't been baptized yet, the question I have for you is, what's stopping you? Perhaps that's the next step that you need to take in your walk with Jesus. Let's stand.